Hi everyone, before we start the episode, I just have a very brief and exciting announcement to make. We've recently started a Ko-fi account. Some of you might already know, but Ko-fi is an online donations platform for all kinds of content creators where, for the price of a coffee, you can make a small donation to help fund the kind of content that you enjoy. So, if you're enjoying the podcast and want to help us to create more episodes about detective stories that you love, please head to ko-fi.com slash crimefictioncasebook, that's K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash crimefictioncasebook to make a donation. We've set the amount to £3 in Great British Pounds, but you can donate more or less if you want to, and even a small amount would be much appreciated. So far we've done everything for free, but obviously projects like this take money, time and lots of dedication to produce. Even if you don't donate, thank you so much for listening to us and please click subscribe to get more updates. Also, if you think you know anyone who might be interested in our work, please share the podcast with them and spread the word about what we do. We could not do any of this without you. So once again, thanks so much and please enjoy the show. Fiction Casebook Podcast, a podcast exploring stories of murder, mystery, and suspense. As always, I'm here with James, my co-host. Yeah, hello. Uh, my name's Bridget. I'm sure you maybe know us by now. Yeah. Um, so today we have a special episode for you. A bonus episode. A bonus episode. Don't know how we figure that these are bonuses, but they are. Well, it's going to be a bit more free and easy, isn't it? Yeah. Much like the, the subject the matter of this Much like the book <laughs> we're talking podcast. about today, we're taking it a bit more free and easy. It's not like a highly plotted, carefully planned Agatha Christie today. Mm-hmm. It's more of a... We're going for vibes today. Vibes, atmosphere, mm-hmm. excitement. And th- toughness. Yeah, we're feeling very tough. So we're talking about The Big Sleep the by Big Raymond Chandler. Um, this is a book from 1939. Um, yeah, by Raymond Chandler. We read it quite recently, not not yesterday. Yeah, but recently-ish. Yeah, recently-ish. I recently-ish. know when I read it, because it when was when I was it? in Austin. Oh, you read it in America? Yes. So you're not like, oh, in really... uh, the book is set in LA, I read it in Austin, Texas. We did watch the film last night. We watched... No, we watched the film two nights ago. Did we? Oh. Um, yeah, so we have just watched the film. So, do you want to introduce the detective of this book, Bridget? Well, yes. So, this book is... Or, or, do you want to give a brief overview? Okay, so normally when we do, like, Agatha Christie's and stuff, we'll, like, go through the whole plot and really carefully explain to you, like, exactly what's happening and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but we're not going to do that today, because if you've read The Big Sleep, you'll know that um, the plot is very complicated. Yeah, they don't really function in the same way. It's not a really neat little puzzle that ties itself together at the end. It's kind of a... Very convoluted and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, you're not supposed to... You're you're along for the ride. You don't need to worry about finding the red herrings and stuff like that. No, it's not like that kind of thing. So I'll just set it up. So Philip Marlowe is a private detective. Yep. He lives in Los Angeles. 1939 is the date when the book came out. So I assume it's around that time. Yeah. So he's called in by General Sternwood, who has two wild daughters. Yeah. So he's like a rich Sternwood's being an oil-rich family. Yeah, he's like a rich oil man, isn't he? Mm. Um, I'm an oil man. (laughs) He says that in an American accent. That was supposed to be oh, posh was, American. I thought that was I'm, a, I'm an oil man. <laughs> I thought that was an English accent. Anyway, the Sternwoods are a rich family. Um, but General Sternwood is receiving blackmail letters. Yeah, relating to his daughter Carmen. So, yeah, so he calls in Philip Marlowe. Philip Marlowe, to get famous to the bottom pri- of is he the black- famous? Oh, he must he's have like, some repute because he's Sternwood a good calls private him private detective. He calls him in and... Um, yeah, he um, he's getting blackmailed in relation to Carmen, his 
youngest daughter. His older daughter is called Vivian. She's also wild, we're told. They're both wild. She's more sensible, though. General Sternwood thinks he's very silly to have taken to fatherhood so late in life, because now he's like, he needs to be really hot all the time. He has to live in the greenhouse. (laughs) He has to have the heating turned up really hot. Um, Yeah, so he has two wild daughters, and one of them is being blackmailed by a dodgy individual called Geiger. Yes. Do we know his first name? I don't remember it. It's not important. It's not important at all. Um, we don't really know what that's all about at the start, but he gets called in, he goes, has that's... a little chat with Sternwood, and then he meets Carmen, who's a bit... Well, he meets Carmen before Sternwood. Yeah, how would you describe her? Um, she um, she is a very silly and immature woman who sort of sees herself as um, like a cross between a femme fatale and a... Um, She's She's someone who's, like, got millions and millions of dollars and doesn't have to worry about anything and, as a result, just runs around, like, trying to manipulate people. She believes that she has power over men, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then after he meets Sternwood, he goes and speaks to Vivian, who's the... It is Vivian, isn't it? Yeah. The older sister, who is a more serious individual. Yes, and wants to know why um, General Sternwood has hired Marlow. But Marlow Mm. can't say, because Mm. he has... Patient confidentiality. Client confidentiality. Mm, yeah. Which is a running theme throughout the book. <laughs> she thinks that it's possibly because her ex-husband, whose name is Rusty Reagan, mm. went missing. And it kind of is. And it kind of might be. And it's a bit weird and we don't really know why. Yeah, Sternwood, General Sternwood <laughs> does talk to Marlow about Rusty Reagan and he how liked, he went missing. He liked Rusty a lot. It he was seems like a the, son to seems him. the reason that he talks about it is because General Sternwood loves Rusty, but he doesn't trust him. So he thinks that Rusty might be the one blackmailing him, and he doesn't yeah. want it to be him. Yeah, yeah. It's all very, it's all very opaque, and we don't really understand who's with who and what's going on, um, and who's behind everything. Yeah, I would say. But that, I, that's the setup. So, I guess. We're not going to really, like, go through the plot. We're going to go through the characters and we're going to explain how Marlowe comes into contact with these people and that may that may sort of, like, just be the plot anyway, I guess. Yeah. That'll take us through the plot and by the end you'll kind of understand the book, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully you've read it anyway. Uh, spoiler alert, we haven't given you a spoiler alert. So. No, this is just the beginning, but, you know, as usual, we're not going to withhold any spoilers. Yeah. Although, to be well, honest, no, this I'm... one doesn't really matter as much. Because, well, there's one spoiler. Yeah, we'll obviously say what happens at the end. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's not like a de- um, detective story where no. the the whodunit is really yeah. important to the novel. This is a really enjoyable novel just for theme and uh, yeah, adventure. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading it. inhabiting the world. I tell you what, it was like, Nothing I've ever read before, really. No, which no, it was very me much like to be. Well, to be honest, I've never watched any of these TV shows no. either. But you see lots of modern pastiches and jokes about seventies American cop shows, um, like Dirty Harry and Columbo and stuff. So like, I've never seen any. Well, no, neither like have that. I. But I believe those are the sorts of things where people talk in constant wisecracks. Yeah, and um, yeah. That's, well, that's the main thing. But, you know, there's always like a layer of cigarette smoke and people are knocking yeah. back whiskeys all the time. Yeah. All that sort of thing. This seems to be like the originator of all that because yeah. this is like everything that you imagine from everything that you've <laughs> absorbed through like Simpsons episodes and stuff about like American yeah. cops. Yeah. This is like but the, I think the real distillate of that. You've probably come across it in other things. Yeah, you know, when I opened this book, I was like, oh, so this is, like, where it all came from. And all of those it's references. so enjoyable. In, yeah. I thought, this is like Raymond Chandler sat down one day and was like, I'm just going to write in a way that's just really fun to read. Mm-hmm. Because the writing style is just so... It's, it's, it's intense. so intense. And, and there's no self It's quite different to how people are encouraged to write now, which is they're encouraged to delete adjectives and adverbs and be really careful that they're not over-describing things and getting people bored and make sure that sentences are all really short and carefully 
crafted and that they should all be snappy and thrillers should be quick and fast. It's not like that. It's flowery. It's over descriptive. Mm-hmm. It's full of like just I also pointless like sides and every like humorous thing is like they all function by having the descriptions backwards. So it's like I picked up the bottle of scotch from the table, which wasn't the only thing on there because my feet were up on the table. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. It is really fun. I mean, you open the book and you're immediately thrown into Philip Marlowe's way of seeing things. (laughs) Just Marlowe things. He, like, describes everything. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning, mid-October, with the sun not shining and a look of hard, wet rain in the clearness of the foothills. I was neat, clean, shaved and sober, and I didn't care who knew it. I was everything the well-dressed detective, private detective ought to be. I was calling on four million dollars. So yeah, I kind of like, to me, I liked how at odds it was with the modern way of writing a thriller or an adventure story or a crime novel. Yeah, I guess because it comes before all the cynicism about these things. It doesn't need any self-awareness or self-effacing attitude. It's full of jokes. It's full of this guy's character. And this, I mean, he's quite a character as well. He can be pretty mean. Ah, yeah, he is not, he is not always nice about other people. No. And other characters in the book, he, he tells you what he thinks about them. That's for sure. Certainly does. Yeah. Well, it's just part of why I like him. Because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's, the book, as well as not, um worrying about how its style comes off it, it certainly doesn't pull any punches in no. uh like trying to show um the seediness of life yeah and, it's um, really um well I, I think part of the thing about philip marlowe is he he's been around the block a bit he's like i mean he's we're going to talk about this but he's only 33 <laughs> he's not really that well, we'll talk about this because we have an issue with this mm-hmm. in relation to the film. But he's only 33, um, but he's seen a lot of life because he's an L.A. P.I., right? Yeah, I mean, that's presumably like 15 years of yeah, policing. Of misery. I would imagine and... you've seen some stuff <laughs> You've in that had time. to endure some probably pretty nasty people. Yeah. Some pretty rough situations and stuff. You know, 1930s L.A. Have you ever seen L.A.? You haven't seen L.A. Confidential, I'm trying to think when that's set, but that's like a similar sort of style. Mm-hmm. It's movie stars, it's like famous people and celebrities, but it's also, we were talking about what the influence, but that's very similar because yeah. it's like the under seedy underbelly of LA mm-hmm. where like the rich rub up against kind of petty criminals and, you know, so this is kind of what it's about. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was drawing on it a bit yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, um, possibly. But this kind of life that Marlowe leads is in amongst these people. Marlowe's seen all. Yeah. I think. That's the vibe I get from him is a guy, he's like jaded, he's cynical, and he's seen a lot of life. He's seen a lot of things he probably doesn't want to have seen, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think he's that's He's cynical fair to say. about other people. <laughs> yeah, he is. He certainly is cynical. Yeah, he's quite cautious and careful. Isn't he's he? extremely cautious. Yeah. He doesn't take <laughs> any risks over things. Yeah, yeah. He's a great character. Um, I personally really like the character of the, like, jaded, old, cynical... Sometimes he's a cop, sometimes he's a PI. Mm-hmm. He has got quite... I guess we've segued on to talking about Marlowe now. Yeah. But he, he does have quite a close relationship with the police. Yeah, um, did he used to be a he cop? Was, he was in the police, and he says he was kicked out for insubordination. Oh, whether right. Whether or not that is true. Right. Who knows? I know he says that in the film, but... No, that was in the book as well. I mean, you read the book more recently than me. Yeah, so, um, yeah, he's a great... He's exactly that pro... uh, I wonder if he's, like, the prototypical version of this, um, like, the original version of this cop character that's very jaded, very cynical. Yeah. And he's, like, this is the noir, like, the film... Hard-bitten cops. Hard-boiled cop. Hard-boiled cop. That's what they call this fiction, hard-boiled fiction. Yeah. Yeah, and he's very hard-boiled... So he's got this, like, gritty mindset, and I think that's the noir thing, that's the film noir. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And he reminds me a lot of Harrison Ford in, like, so in Blade Runner, Harrison Ford is basically the same type of character, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, When he plays Rick Deckard. I mean, actually, I think Harrison Ford in a lot of films is a bit like this. 
Yeah, well, the only other films I've seen him in are Star Wars and Indiana Jones, which oh, are a bit different. I feel like I've seen him in lots of films that I can't remember what they are. But anyway, he often plays like a jaded cop yes, or a jaded correct. individual. Yeah. So he goes and sees General Sternwood, and yeah, like I say, General Sternwood is like not well. I think he might have had a stroke at some point oh, relatively right. recently. Mm. But I'll just be imagining that. The other characters that we're. Well, I think maybe we should talk a little bit more about Vivian. Um, yeah. Because I think she's kind of the secondary main character. Yeah. So um, she's like. She's the one that spends the most time talking to, to Marlowe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, she's more sensible. She's like. Yeah. But um, she's like in the. She's in the thick of this world of the seedy underbelly of LA as well. Yeah. She as has well. more of a measure of self awareness and control about her position, though. Yeah. Vivian is basically. Um, into gambling, mm. like, that's what and she she's under the thumb of a powerful man because Eddie of Mars. the gambling. Yeah, so I guess they both are. Yeah, as um, Marlowe explores the case, he sort of comes to realise that the world that the Sternwood daughters are mixing in is basically being run by Eddie Mars. Yeah, who is like a high level. Um, he's like a legit criminal. He's someone that wouldn't be of interest to the police because. You know, he operates in society as well as outside the law. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got like he's got strong men, but he d- it's not like he goes around killing loads of people. Like, he will have people beaten and killed if necessary, but that's not his main shtick. Like, yeah. he operates a ruthless casino and is a landlord and will pressure people. So, Eddie Mars sort of comes into the novel through two main ways. Uh, the first is that... Um, Vivian is always at his casino and she owes him God knows how much money Mm. uh, because she loses so much money at his casino. And the second is that he is involved with Geiger. He is Geiger's landlord Mm. um, and is possibly operating some sort of protection racket on him and his lower level Mm. criminal activities. The first thing that happens is that Marlowe goes and stakes out Geiger's... Oh, there's a whole load of how he finds out who Geiger is and where he hangs out and all this kind of thing. And we go to a bookshop, we go to all kinds of places, lots of things happen. And then he goes and sort of stakes out Geiger's home, doesn't he? Yeah. And there's this really, I thought, really vivid scene where he goes into the house. Do they hear a gunshot well, or a scream? Well, he hears a gunshot. Goes into the house through the window, I think. Yeah. And he sees... Um, he goes in through the French window at the back. Yeah. Carmen is completely naked, She's sitting naked, on a chair. Sitting, yeah, sat in a She's chair. Being drugged. Yeah. Um, She's like laughing to herself. He's dead on the floor. Mm. He's been shot. There's a camera. She's being photo- photographed. But the photos are gone. But the photos are gone yet? Or are they yeah, gone? Yeah, they're yeah. gone. Um, yeah, so it's a very striking image, isn't it? I feel like there are like rugs and clothes described and yeah. carpets and all kinds. Well, because Geiger is like a like, wannabe collector. He's collecting. The stuff he's got is all rubbish. He's like, collecting tattoo, like... Or Marlowe doesn't approve of it. It's all like yeah. stuff that Marlowe thinks is... Well, I, I think it's just like everyone with... Geiger's just not a tasteful guy. Later they return to the house and the body is gone. Well, from Geiger's <laughs> he goes to see Joe... Brody. He goes somewhere else um, and... Oh, he takes Carmen home. Mm. Um, and then when he returns to the house the next day... I don't even reta- think it's the next day. He returns to the house it's that like night. that night, yeah. That body, the body is gone. Yeah, it's all very strange. Um, yes. Yeah, so there's all this... I think that's when the photos are taken as yeah, well, Yeah, I, I don't think the photos are um, gone at that point before it's afterwards someone's taken them. Yeah, because yeah, the guy takes the money, takes the body. Yes, Joe Brody takes the body and the photos. Because that's when you go yes. to see Joe Brody. Okay, so there's another guy. He's called Joe Brody. Yes, he's an original suspect for the blackmailing. Is he? Yes, because yeah. he was involved with Carmen some time ago. And Sternwood paid him off. Um, but when Marlowe goes to see him, it's pretty obvious it's not likely to be him because he's pretty useless. Yeah. He's not a good criminal. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's like a... No, he, he's really I can't low describe level. it. Yeah, he's like... 
He's a, there's, a, there's a few bottom feeder criminals in this book, and Joe Brody yeah. is very much one of them. Like, um, Marlo just, like, immediately beats him, off, uh, beats him up and have, has his gun off him. Mm. And then he's like, where are the pictures of Carmen? And he hands them over. And then he's like, can I have some money, please? <laughs> and I was just like, no. <laughs> well, that's probably how he behaves all the time. Yeah, I know. Uh, he's a bit useless yeah. and a bit petty. Um yeah, I don't know what to say about Joe Brody. <laughs> well, that's he immediately much. gets murdered. So no, he doesn't. Oh yes, he does. He does. Yeah, he does. He opens the door, someone shoots him. That's it. Yeah. Oh well, poor Joe Brody. <laughs> I would. He doesn't immediately get murdered. He gets murdered about halfway through. Yeah, the book. while, while Marlowe's there. Yeah. Bye. Who? I can't even remember. I can't remember who kills Joe Brody. Uh, Lewis. Not Lewis. I call Carol. him Lewis because Lewis he's called Carol. Carol. <laughs> um, there's a man in this called Carol. You who, were very confused because you were like... Right. Here we go. I'm going to explain the whole plot and this way we will be able to refer back to it. Okay. So, Sternwood is getting blackmailed by Geiger mm-hmm. because Geiger... Is taking pictures of Carmen in the nude, and it's very easy to blackmail someone over those. Very, very easy. Geiger gets killed by the family gardener or something, whose name I remember, who is another yeah, one of Carmen's ex lovers. Chauffeur or something. Yeah, he kills Geiger out of jealousy. He's not a lover, is he? Yeah, he is. Isn't he just like in love with her? Well, maybe he is. I I think they've had an affair. But anyway, he finds out about the new things and he kills Geiger out of jealousy. Then he runs off. Mm. Then he gets killed. He's the one in the car. Yeah, he's he's driven off a cliff in a car. That I can't remember who does that. It's um. Is it um, Canino? It doesn't matter. Joe Brody was going round to Geiger's house to do some, you know, petty criminality, sees the dead body, thinks it's on him, and hides the body. And then he takes the pictures of Carmen. He then (laughs) gets killed, having given up the pictures of Carmen back to Marlowe. Who kills him? It doesn't matter. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. That's not what the book's about. You don't have to... I got, I got a reasonable <laughs> way through. Okay, since I've broken down, do you want to talk about someone else? Well, I think what we should talk about is the fact that Geiger is running his pornography business as like a front for a second-hand bookshop. The front is the second-hand Yes, the front is, is a rare bookshop. It's not porn. Yeah. A porn. The porn is the legitimate <laughs> face of rare books. Yeah. Um, he deals in smut and pornography. But he pretends he's a rare bookseller. And yeah, well, the woman who keeps the bookshop is like someone who's involved in the plot as well, who's called Agnes. She's just like a, another low-level person Agnes. who ends up in the world of criminality. It is, it is her, though, yes, isn't it? And she's later like... Well, when Geiger dies, she has to attach herself to someone else because, yeah. you know, she's like a lowly woman in the world of tough criminals. And then Brody <laughs> dies, so she has to attach herself to Harry. And then Harry dies, so Marlowe just gives her some money and she it's goes away. It's just a terrible existence for a she woman. She has a very tough time of it all. Yeah. Um, in, when he's looking for Geiger and trying to figure out who this Geiger person is, he goes and like... He suspects that it's a front, correctly. So he goes and asks about a couple of rare books and then they don't she know anything know. about <laughs> rare books. So he's like, well, there we go, it must be a front. So Joe Brody gets shot through, a do- shot through a door because he just opens the door to anyone and he gets shot. Yeah. It's quite not what you're expecting as the reader as well. Um, then what happens? Well, then the I book think maybe we takes should... a bit of a lull doesn't it yeah um at this point um marlo goes home he finds carmen in his bed um and he has to get rid of her well she just tries to seduce him she tries to seduce him but he's having none of it because as Mm. we said he's very careful yeah so he takes her home again and then he goes to eddie mars's casino yeah yeah and vivian tries to get off with him as well does she she does get off with him When's this? When he's taking her home. He oh, saves her from 
It's the bit where Eddie Mars loses a load of money to her and then oh, sends yeah. around one yeah. of his heavies to yeah. get it back. Yes. In yeah. the car park of his own casino. Yeah. Um, how old are the girls? Do we know? I don't know, like early 20s. Yeah. Uh, Vivian's been married. Um, mm. I think she's been married more than once. Really? I might have misremembered that. Um, and then, basically... Yeah, then things like start a, to really kick it's, off. It's music. a strange book, because there's, like, two halves to it. So the first bit is this whole business with Geiger, and we didn't explain it, but a car gets driven off a pier, and it has the chauffeur from the Sternwood house in it, and yeah, he gets Yeah, I'll murdered. be honest, I still don't know who did that and why. It's because... Um, I also still don't really understand what happened. He, he jealously killed Geiger. Oh, um, yeah. He killed Geiger. Did Carol kill him as well then? Yeah, I think so. Because Carol's just really on the warpath. Right, who I might Geiger. got this wrong, but the chauffeur kills Geiger. Correct. And then Geiger's lover, Carol, or Carol who is a man, yeah. but he's called Carol. Maybe that's normal in America. I yeah, don't maybe. Know. But in, in England, Carol's not a man's name well, usually. No, I've never heard of it. Anyway, Carol kills the chauffeur because the yeah. chauffeur killed Geiger. So this but is he also kills... He realises that the chauffeur didn't kill Geiger and he then kills Joe Brody as well. What you said? So the chauffeur didn't kill Geiger? No, the chauffeur did kill Geiger, <laughs> but Carol is just like, I better make sure I get the right man. <laughs> No way! So he just kills two people on the off chance that one of them did it. I think. So. I think maybe he what? kills Brody because he realizes that Brody is selling off the 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 naked pictures and he's yes he's a yes. liability to the racket. Right. Okay. So it's Carol killing everyone. Car- I think so, but and, I, I, um... I'm not. You know, totally certain. <laughs> Would you stake your life on No, it? I absolutely wouldn't. Um, do you want to move on to, like, the second half of this and the sort of concluding overall storyline? Yeah, do you think line? we're getting a bit bogged down? Yeah. So, the Rusty Reagan story, basically, Carmen killed him. Because yeah, yeah. she tried to seduce him, he... Uh, turned her down and she gets really angry yeah. uh, when men do this. So she tries to kill Marlo in the same yeah. way at one point over this. At the end. At the end. Because by that point, it, that's the very last thing that happens in the book and it's become very obvious that that's probably what's happened. Because I, yes. by that point I was like, come on, yeah. this Rusty Reagan guy is obviously dead. He's obviously buried in the Sternwoods um, garden or something. like. They chuck him in an oil well. Do they? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> Vivian realises that Carmen's killed her, her husband and uh, is like, well, we need to protect Carmen. So she enlists Eddie Mars's help for this yeah, yeah. and they make it look like Rusty Reagan's run and off with Eddie Mars' wife. And that leaves her in debt to Eddie Mars and his whole racket. Correct. Yeah, it's um, not don't, a good plan, Don't really. get involved with Eddie She Mars. should have just packed off Carmen, really. Yeah. Like, she killed her husband. Like she, you know, she but she's not in love with Rusty Reagan. Yeah, but it's still but not it's cool. still bad. You know, <laughs> it's still a bad thing. Um, yeah, this ha- is heavily like it's implied that she she's having a seizure when she does all this killing. Right. This is very. Did you not pick up on this? Oh, if I did, I discount. I think I just discounted it because I didn't. It's talked didn't about. Care for it's, it makes it a bit more complex because it's like. He's trying to create a situation where we're not just saying, oh, she's a baddie, like, she's going around killing people. Right, yeah, okay. I think I remember it, and what I thought was intended when I read that was that they immediately go into cover-up story mode. Right, yeah, okay. And they're saying this is the story that gets put out. As a reader, it's more, it, it comes across less like, oh, we're blaming her... It's like a way of, yeah. which may be what you're picking up on, it's mm-hmm. a way of like absolving her so much. But they don't, they say, don't they, that there's somewhere she can go like... Again, know. I kind of thought that this is just like they need to pack her off somewhere, yeah. somewhere where she can't be involved in dodgy like people and calm yeah. down and uh, be away from temptation and stuff. And also from the law. Yeah. You know, just get away to the countryside, lay low for a bit. One thing that uh, took me a bit by surprise, uh, or that I didn't fully understand, 
um, was in the second half of this book when he's sort of tracking down Eddie Mars's wife, who's in hiding because she's supposedly run off with Rusty Reagan. Um, he has to go out to this place called yeah. Re- Realito. Realito. And when I was reading this, I was like, is this in the LA metropolitan area? To what extent was LA then what I think of, you know, what I know LA to be like now? Was it just a small place at the time? I don't know. Like, what, you know, do you, could do you, you drive I've like never heard for of, I've never heard of Realito. Realito. But when we watched the film, it was like, okay, this is out of the city of LA. Um... But yeah, so he spends a lot of time out with some dodgy fake there's mechanics. Like a fake garage as a front. Yeah, and, um, that's another of Eddie Mars's things. Well, there's this bloke, Harry, who they meet, who he meets, and immediately he gets poisoned. Yeah, it's well, Harry, Harry's a Joe Brody level yeah. character. He might even be lower than Joe Brody, actually, because he's pretty. He's really like, I'm just going to blackmail everyone yeah. as much as I can. Or like, sell information. Yeah, that he can. literally just sells information, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and he gives them this information, which is... It comes from Agnes, because Agnes has attached herself to this Harry individual. Yeah. Um, and they know where she's Eddie found wife is. that Eddie Mars's wife, who they thought was involved with Rusty Reagan. This is the story, isn't it? That she had run off with Rusty Reagan. Yeah, that's to cover that, that Rusty story. Reagan is dead. Yeah, but... They've found her, and she's like... Yeah, they somehow know that... In the film, they said that they saw her driving around in a car, but I'm pretty sure in the book it doesn't say that. It just says in that the book, we know where she is. In the book, she's pretty much holed up in the yeah. place. Like, But I don't think when Harry says any of this, or, Vivi- or Agnes says any of this, she says, oh, I know this because I saw her driving around in a car. I think she just says to Marlo, go to Realito. Eddie Mars' wife is there. Yeah, they say yeah. Eddie Mars' wife is there in a frame house, whatever that is. Yeah, they I say know. there's a frame house. Um, so they go to this house, um, and he gets in a fight immediately with the he guys. gets a tire put over him. Does he? Yeah, <laughs> like in Scooby Doo. Okay, okay, I don't remember that. They knock him over the head and they put a tire over him Something, so he can't yeah. move his arm. And then they actually go and fix his car, which is nice. Do of they? Him. Yeah, kind of, kind of weird. I missed that completely. And then they put him in the house too. And the twist is, which I thought was quite interesting, is that Eddie Mars's wife, Mrs. Mars, mm. is... Um, silver wig. She's wearing a silver wig. She's wearing a platinum blonde wig because she has cut her hair really short because she's trying to change her identity. she's in disguise. Yeah. Yeah, in case anyone sees her. She's growing her hair out, isn't she? Yeah. So yeah. that she can change her identity. Yeah. So she's wearing this really obvious blonde wig and um the the twist is that she's actually totally devoted to eddie mars yeah she does kind she of believes turn, that he's gonna come and get her and yeah it's quite sad really. but equally she does like turn she she's the one yeah. that frees marlo yeah and they kiss mm. he's like i'm gonna like get you out of here and she's just like no no i'm gonna wait yeah he's gonna come and get me i'll be I'll honest be all right this, this was a this was probably the point where I understood the least of what I was going quite on. Like this I was like, I thought... what on earth is happening here? Because <laughs> there's a bit where he says to her, keep quiet, this was all for show. And, or some or words to that effect. And I was like, are you pretending to be captured by the baddies in, like, in front of some other baddies? Like, what? But it turned no out idea. not. He definitely does say something like that, but I just didn't understand why. Yeah, I think he's quite... Um, I got the impression that he's quite not impressed by her, but he's quite taken with her. Like, yeah. he didn't expect that she was just really loyal. So anyway, he, he basically has to walk back to LA, doesn't he? Through I can't the desert. remember. He, I In the think, rain, I think. He walks, because the garage is outside the town of Realito, so he walks to Realito and then he gets a cab or a bus mm. or something to LA. Because the car is gone. His but car is shoots, fixed. He shoots Canino. He shoots Canino, who Canino is like is the, the, the main thug. Yeah. He's the one who kills Harry. So more characters. They're all very similar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> most of them die. They all die. <laughs> um, and that's when he goes back to uh, the Sternwood estate and Carmen tries to kill him. Yes. Carmen tries to kill him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that, really. In, oh. Yeah, so we, as I said, we read this a while ago, but we watched the film two days ago. Yes, it's the film starring Humphrey Bogart and, and Lauren Bacall. Bacall. 1946, The Big Sleep. Yeah. So this is like a really, would have been like 
a really big blockbuster, I would have thought. Like, a proper... Yeah, I think so. Hard-boiled film noir, like, really two really big yeah, film two stars. powerhouse actors. Yeah, in the 40s. Um, did you enjoy it, Bridget? Um, I... I was really underwhelmed by it. Yeah, I was not really a fan. It was strange. I was really expecting to like really love it, and I just didn't. It was kind of too long and slow. (laughs) Well, it wasn't slow necessarily. It just kept on going. There was a lot of. It was just not. It wasn't as good as the book. It. I think it took so much dialogue from the book, and it's like. This is yes, fine in book form yes. because you obviously read very quickly, but this needed to have been cut down that. for a film. I, I almost felt like it wasn't as similar to the book, but I think that's because in the book you hear his narrative all the time. True. You don't get that in the film, so that takes a whole layer of what's good about it away. Yeah, that's true. There were also some changes in the way things were presented. Like It, it was like much cleaner than the book. Yeah, well, So yeah, there was obviously that. no nudity... Yeah. Um, there was less references to anything sexual Cause in the fewer. 40s I don't really know because I I've never seen an adaptation from that time of something like that because the book is gritty like yeah. obviously by today's standard it's not gritty but it is quite gritty because what's described is like bad violent death like seedy behaviour like illegal things like well and a lot of sex stuff a lot of sex which was not in the um, yeah, um, there's like gay relationships. Yeah, yeah that was it. that wasn't in the film. So they've taken because at the time I think they can't even imply some of the stuff that's in it. Yeah, because things were so censored. It's funny how different the film industry was from <coughs> books at the time. Mm. Yeah, I don't know why that was probably just a wider audience and it's more on people's minds. The book feels really gritty and realistic, even though it's a bit sort of silly and pulpy yeah pulpy but it does feel um you know it's seedy you know you get the sense of an underworld where like stuff that's not acceptable is going on and um it's so censored yeah like obviously like when he goes in sees Geiger is dead Marlo sees Geiger is dead in he's making photographs of Carmen but in the film she's obviously fully clothed and stuff She's got like she's got a, a top um, open, a gown isn't she? On. Yeah, but it it kind of it's strange because you know that's not how it would happen. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think that was how I felt about the whole thing. Was like, I know why it has to be like that because it's the forties, but like it's strange when you're watching it because you know that's it, it not feels how a bit it would like, be. You know, was, uh, what's the point in adapting this story? Like, yeah. when it's got it's so based around Make money. Those well, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that obviously there's no gay relationships in it yeah that, that's definitely the language know. is cleaner there's less like yeah there's no like i don't think there's any there's like, no, like out swearing, total swearing in the book like, but there's lots of like um what would rough be, language what would be slurs, in the, yeah um, there's lots things, of like stuff that's like not the, acceptable now in it um, uh, well and clearly not acceptable in the film industry yeah, the yeah. as well um what would the language would be in the Oxford English Dictionary would be like filed under like vulgar slang or something, yeah. I guess. Well, lots of that <laughs> and lots of things that are just like outright offensive and would yeah, be just yeah. totally unacceptable now. Um, well, like, um, I mean, I think because you can't see into Marlowe's mind, you don't get his full commentary, yeah, which oh, yeah. is why it's so like hard nosed and gritty and stuff, like, is because you get that vibe from mm-hmm. him. Yeah. What did you think of Humphrey Bogart as Marlowe? So towards the beginning... Okay. Towards the beginning of the film, like, General Sternwood, when he meets Marlowe, says, like, what have you seen of life? Or something of that sort. And um, Humphrey Bogart says, well, I'm 38. And and you're like, no, you're not. (laughs) We looked at each other, didn't we? And I was like... Oh, no, I don't think he's 38. I don't think you're 38. (laughs) How old was he, 47 or something? He's like 47. Yeah, Yeah. obviously 38, as you mentioned. Well, uh, yeah. He's supposed to be 33, so he clearly looks at him and I'm like, well, we can't get away with saying you're 33. In the novel, I looked at it just before, because in that exact bit he says, I'm 33. And I thought... Yeah, the film producer obviously looked at that and were like, there's no way. Yeah, no, it's not possible. <laughs> there's just no way anyone's going to believe it. Yeah. So, It's a bit of a shame because I I, thought, I actually thought he was 
quite good, he's good as Marlowe. Yeah, he's good. He's just way too old. Um, the okay. the other side of that is that they write in a much more overt love story between Vivian and Marlowe um, in the film that's not in the book. Certainly not in that way. And it doesn't really make sense with the yeah, two characters because they're both so like hard like and jaded. And yeah, but she's like, you, you know, a jaded character as well yeah. who is like out of love with the world and, yeah, yeah she's not like it's not like she's looking for a man also they changed rusty reagan's name to sean reagan yeah why? for some reason <laughs> i don't know why, why? okay so we're really going in the weeds now they may because they have to censor it they've made her married to someone else not Rusty Reagan. Yes, she's Mrs. Rutledge. She's it? Mrs. Rutledge or something. Yeah. And um, well, let's say that there's there isn't you know yeah, a confusing know. thing in the way of Marlowe and it's because um, Vivian. I think it's because at the time it would have been wrong for her to be like um, gadding about with Humphrey Bogart if she's well, yeah. married to someone else that ostensibly is in the picture and alive. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I know. So is she supposed to be a widow? Like, what is who, what happened yeah, to Mr. So. Rutledge? We don't <laughs> know. Knows? She was also <laughs> killed by Carmen. <laughs> we were probably told, but we forgot. Um, they've done that, so they've they've made Rusty Reagan into Sean Regan. They pronounce mm. it Regan. Yeah. Um, is it because if they had him called Rusty Reagan and her other husband's called Mr. Rutledge, it'd be like Rusty Reagan and Rutledge and we would all get very confused about how illiterate maybe, everything was maybe. getting? Who knows? They, could have they also made it that, that um, Sean Reagan and Marlowe were old friends in the film. <laughs> really? Yeah. I miss that. Yeah, they, they or maybe not were old friends, but he knew Sean I Reagan, Sean Regan, and I don't really understand why that. How was. Did I maybe it was so to, maybe it was this. to bring Marlowe more into the plot. I, I don't know, but great um, book. Read the book. Uh, watch the film if you want to, but I don't. It wasn't say you bad. Must, yeah, there was in, but you just, wouldn't say, "Oh, you must watch." The it's big not story. a linear plot, so like, I mean, it's, well, it is. A it is linear plot. plot, but it's not. It doesn't have like a very. It doesn't have a very um, curved arc. No, if you no, know no, what I mean, like no. it. It, it kind of goes up and down and up and down and, and, and it goes all over the place. Yes. It doesn't go up. But it does at least down. go in order. Um, it's like more of a modern story where it's an adventure and this happens and then mm. this happens and this happens and at the end we just conclude. Yeah. Um, but there's like a sag in the middle, I think. There's a sag in the middle and to be honest, when they, it was like the point where Harry Jones was talking and I started yeah. to nod off a bit because I was tired. Mm. Um, but also because it was nothing, not enough was happening in the film. I thought. Yeah, it 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 does. It it's very sad. much has a first half and a second half yeah. of the story, and there's a bit of a like, okay, into the second I half now. Like... <laughs> mm. Yeah, but well, the big sleep beans dead, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, because that's Rusty quite Reagan, a good sleep in got... the big sleep. It's all good language, and people are really. Um, I don't know where the word is like um, bantankerous in this book. Like, the dialogue is yes. really... And that doesn't... I felt it didn't perhaps work so well on the screen. Yeah, there's quite a lot of wisecracking. Oh, it's so wisecracky. But it's like, you really need some people who are going to really bring it to life. You know, I'm not saying that Humphrey Bogart didn't. There was a really painful scene where they did a prank call to the place. Oh, God, yeah. And I was like, oh... I'm well, glad when you is, also when thought is... that was... Yeah. I, I found that cringy, and I was like, I wonder if I'm just being... It was sensitive. No, that was really bad. It was bad. annoying. Yeah. That's not in the book. No, not in the book. <laughs> Stick to the source no, material, guys. Marlowe in the book is more serious than that. Yeah. Well, he, would... he wouldn't just do that. He wouldn't be, oh, I'm just going to make a crank call mm. like, and be silly for a moment. Yeah. Also in the film, he just like randomly gets off with the work, the random bookshop woman. The other bookshop across yeah, the road. So the real rare bookshop. So I'd better go bookshop. down to rare bookshop alleyway. To I've heard they're selling rare books there. Because <laughs> across the road from the yeah. fake bookshop, there's a real Both have very sexy ladies working yeah, both, in there. Everyone is so attractive in the film. Like all I'm going to go down the real bookshop where they have the beautiful women. Yeah, and he goes in and he just like, asks her the same question about the... Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, 1860. Is it, is it I didn't even know Ben-Hur was a book. Is it but... that in the book? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, it is. is. It? Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and because she knows all about that, that's not a real addition or something. Yeah. Oh, that must mean that the dodgy place that seems really dodgy is actually <laughs> that has fake. people going yeah. in and out of panels in the yeah. wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a fake bookshop. Yeah. What do you uh, know? I know. I know. Uh, I feel bad like dissing it because it's so old. It almost feels like you're dissing like. Um, an artifact almost do you know what I mean, do you know what I mean though like it's like I don't want to <laughs> do you know what I mean though yeah um, sort of I look I didn't enjoy watching it and I think that's it a perfectly legitimate it really sanitised and really um, boring stagey wasn't that boring it was pretty boring okay why Why do you think what's your diagnosis it just dragged on and on and it's, yeah. it needed editing it was better. strange that they didn't edit it at all yeah so I'm not. When I read it, I was like, "Oh, I, I can't understand how they filmed this because it. I don't feel like this would film very well." Mm-hmm. There is a bit that got cut out, um, but as far as Which I can bit? remember, only one bit. There's the bit where he follows a man out of the out of Geiger's bookshop. Mm. He like follows him along, and then looks at the book that he deposits in a tree. You remember that? Well, it's not in the film. <laughs> This is also stuff in the film, like when he goes to the house in Rialito, like Vivian's there. Oh yeah, that was. Yeah, why Vivian, was she there? Like, why was she there? I didn't understand. I guess and she's also, in on the plot. Vivian but, like, um, was was there with Joe Brody. Is she there with Joe Brody? No, I don't think so. No, she's not. Like, it, she's there all the time, and it makes no sense in the film. Mm. But the film makes no. sense. Like, it's hard. I think if you hadn't read it, it would be extremely hard to understand what's oh, going yeah. on. Yeah, I'd have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have much idea as it is, but I'd, no, I'd have no idea. Mm. Oh, okay, so at the end of the film, um, Mars gets killed. Oh, yeah. I don't think Eddie that Mars happens no. book. Eddie Mars didn't die. And it doesn't have the scene... Eddie Mars dies in a really stupid <laughs> know, way. Right? I was like, it was quite satisfying, but I was also like, would it really be this badly organised? But I suppose it might be with his useless heavies and stuff. His incompetent (laughs) goons. They're waiting for Marlow to run. If there's someone running, it's not going to be Eddie Mars. Yeah. But it is. Yeah. It gets immediately shot to death. Yeah. Yeah. Quite nasty, really. But yeah, I mean, he dies by his own mistake and that's how it ends and um, and also the other thing that's not in it is um at the end um when he's messing around with guns with her mm. there's none of that that scene's not in it yeah carmen i forget how this happens he says i'm gonna teach you how to shoot a gun or something and yeah. she tries to kill him mm. this doesn't happen in the film no i wasn't don't in the film. I, I don't know why because it's quite good yeah, it also exciting. makes it quite clear where it's going as well. I know, you know it's, it's like it's... clear that she killed somebody. Like that, that, yeah. I don't know why they took oh, her well. out. Shall we uh, wrap things up? Yeah, I hope we did that justice because it's, it's quite a tricky one to talk about, but um, it's, it's nice. It's, to... a re- it's a really fun book, and um, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed it. Reading it was like a pleasure. I just love the language, and it makes me kind of. I think that it makes me feel a bit as if writing his style... I guess it wouldn't be fashionable now if you wrote like this now. Things change. People would look down on it and say, this is naff and cheesy. Yeah, but if you were to do this now, it would be derivative of Raymond Chandler. Yeah, and so much isn't. When I read it, I I definitely felt like... um, I don't know if he was the first person to do... Because you said to me when you were reading it, one of the first things you said about it was like, did people write like this at the time? Like, is this yeah, part of a style? Yeah, maybe we should have looked that up before the <laughs> pod. But yes, I don't know if this was like the original text of this style that influenced everything, or if this is just a very successful book um, yeah. from this movement at the time. Yeah, because um, the thing is, I say this at the risk of sounding extremely ignorant about the era and the style mm-hmm. however reading it it was like i've never read anything like this this is totally no, different this is a totally different style of writing um but it suddenly made me aware of where so much culture has come from because mm-hmm. i think this like noir film noir um hard-boiled detective fiction um gritty crime of that time has made such an imprint on the culture 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Can you really see it? Yeah, it's one of the, well, we often say this with uh, when we're talking about Agatha Christie's. Um, mm. The works are so seminal that they have had an enormous influence over all following sort of yeah. crime fiction. Mm. Um, and not only that, um, because it's influenced crime fiction in such a huge way, yeah. it's also bled into pop culture in every which way. And I think this is uh, similar. There's just a lot of American particularly culture that it, it really rings true, like just the whole style. And I mean kind of more the tone of mm. it. But things can be very idiosyncratic and um, stand out in their time. Like, you know, I'm, I'm reading Hilary Mantel at the moment. So yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's different from anything else. Well, exactly. Yeah. So things can just stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah. And, but, and yeah, also be incredibly influential. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a bit like when you read any one of these things that um, has um, a real cultural weight to it, you, mm. you immediately understand why. Mm. Because mm. Um, it sort of hits you very firmly with um, this very impactful um, je ne sais quoi. In, yeah. this, in this book, it's, you know, it's very rather. much rooted in the language. It's like when you read... Um, Agatha Christie's or yeah. James Bond's I'm sure Agatha Christie was reading The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy like you immediately tell yeah. like okay right this is like a cultural moment well there, there probably is some James Bond uh, Marlowe in James Bond well probably yeah, yeah. Um, but yes yes, this was very popular I believe yeah, yeah. yeah and we'll leave you with that and so I guess we're gonna sign off now um, if you want to follow the podcast um, the best way to do that is on Instagram Mm-hmm. My Instagram is at Crime Fiction Casebook. Um, it's not just stuff about the pod, but also books I'm reading. Yeah, lots um, of nice little blog posts. Nice there. little things, yeah. So it was nice to talk about the big sleep. Um, yeah, catch you on the next episode. See you later. Bye. Bye. listening to the crime fiction casebook podcast if you enjoyed the episode please subscribe to the podcast and follow me on instagram at crime fiction casebook for updates about the show to donate visit ko-fi.com slash crime fiction casebook that's ko-fi.com slash crime fiction casebook all one word once again thanks very much for listening and keep an eye out for the next episode goodbye